following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Church, just for a moment, I want you just to think about the fact, as we're going to talk about here, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, the tomb is empty, and right now, seated at the right hand of God, is the Savior Jesus, who is mediating on your behalf before God, saying, Father, forgive them, they did not know what they were doing. And on the other hand, saying, these are my people, and interceding for us, praying for us, because he is now alive. How good is that news? Right? That is glorious, great news. Right? If you're new with us today, thanks for being here. My name is Dave York. I'm the senior pastor here. And it is my privilege to be with you this morning. So let's open our Bibles. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to be toward the middle of that great chapter. So here we are, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. You know, unlike America, which is interesting, there's other nations of the world that actually take an entire week and celebrate Passion Week. Uh, this week, my brothers in the Philippines, as I was uh, WhatsApping those guys, checking in with them, they said, hey, brother, if you don't mind, uh, it's Passion Week here in the Philippines. Everything kind of slows down. But what an interesting thing. Everything slows down. Various nations around the world, literally all over the world, gather to hear a message about hope. Easter sermons are listened to by thousands of hundreds of people each year. It's probably the year when there is the highest church attendance on any other Sunday of the year. People dress up and we, we eat more ham than any other time in any other part of the year. Right? I mean, we, we do. Right? But here's the question. Why? Why, why is it that on this particular Sunday of the year, people gather all over the world to hear messages, to hear sermons, there are things discussed about the resurrected Christ. And I think we all know why. Because we all know that we need hope. We need hope. It doesn't take you long to look around your world and think, my word, things seem awfully dark, don't they? There's political division everywhere. There's chaos everywhere. Financial uncertainty just hangs over the horizon. And it all plays into our need for hope. I mean, when are things going to finally calm down? <laughs> when will, you know, that great question of what is your desire for the world, world peace, finally be realized? When will that finally happen? Nations all over the world, people all over the world know that this world is chaotic and we need hope. But there's also something that really matches it all, is that most of our longing for hope is because we know that we need it personally. We struggle with anxiety and fears. We fight our own personal demons of different issues of sin and temptations that we fight every each and every day. We fight them in our own homes. And there's something within each of us that God has put there that we're wondering about our relationship with Almighty God. 
We know there's something missing in that equation, something missing in our relationship with God, and we need the hope of knowing that we're right with him. So enter Easter. Enter Easter. Easter offers us the hope that we are all looking for. It shows us that God has a plan for this chaotic and crazy world and that one day he will roll up the scrolls of history and everything that he had deemed to be done will be done. It shows us that he's ruling over all things and has a plan for new life, that your life doesn't have to stay the same. It's God's plan for our own personal issues and challenges and temptations. You know, Easter is is God's way of showing you something. It's God's way of showing you that nothing will stand in the way of God for making you right with him. Easter shows you that God will stop at nothing to help you and I overcome every obstacle that we face and that God will overcome every obstacle that's standing in his way to get to us. Even overcoming our greatest fear, death, and overcoming our greatest adversary, Satan. Easter is the the epitome of hope. That's what we're going to see this morning. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 12 through the beginning of verse 20. I know you're just standing. Stand with me as we read God's word together. I'm going to read it. You follow along. If you can't read it because it's too dark, follow on the screen. We stand here at our church because this is God's word. We believe it is God-breathed. It is inspired. It is authoritative. And we as God's people submit our hearts to his word. This is the reading of God's word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, if in Christ We have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. May God bless the preaching and the hearing of the preaching of his word today. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, from this text today, here's what I hope we'll see. This is our big idea. You should have got an outline when you walked in the door. On the outline, there's a big idea. And here's what we're going to hopefully learn today. And it's it's not profound, very simple. If there is no resurrection of the dead, Christians have lost everything. But since Christ has been raised from the dead, 
we have gained everything. If there is no resurrection of the dead, Christians have lost everything. But since Christ has been raised from the dead, we have gained everything. Now to look at this this morning, I just want to look at three things. I want to look at Christianity's unique perspective. I want to look at the consequences if there is no resurrection. And I want to think about the reality of the resurrection. So let's start by looking at Christianity's unique perspective, which you're going to see in the text. The Corinthian church, which is the book that we just read from, was an absolute mess. And this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians revealed that. Paul wrote them about several questions and concerns that he had heard from some trusted friends. And throughout this letter, Paul showed the Corinthian church the power of the gospel and how it is applied to how they understand living and doing church life. They talked about how the gospel affects church leadership. How does the gospel affect our morality? How does the gospel affect gender roles in the church and how we should think about gender roles in the church? How does the gospel affect our personal freedoms and how does the gospel affect our spiritual gifts? Paul has left nothing out of the concerns that were brought to him. And one of the major concerns is what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 deals with, and you can see it very clearly in verse 12. And it's obvious in the text. If Christ is proclaimed as being raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Now, Paul raised this question because if you look back in your Bible at chapter 15, verse 1, you will notice that he reminded them of the gospel that he preached to them and the fact that they believe that gospel. So you can imagine the shock in the Apostle Paul's mind when he heard from his trusted friends that there were some Corinthian Christians who decided to not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the reason for Paul's concern is that Christianity has a unique perspective regarding the resurrection of the dead among all other religions of the world. To be a Christian, to be a Christian means we are saved from the penalty of our sin and we are made right with God when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe with our hearts that God raised him from the dead. So a Christian is someone who believes that Jesus was bodily died on the cross, was buried bodily, and was raised bodily from the dead. Most religions of the world believe in some sort of spiritual resurrection. The soul is raised or it's transferred to a higher or a lower place depending on how one lives on the earth. But Christianity is completely different from that. Resurrection involves both soul and body. And this perspective is unique. And it is one that is often mocked at and laughed at. One that people think, how could you possibly believe in the ridiculous idea of a bodily resurrection? And we tend to think that this is new to us in the 21st century, that people didn't mock and laugh in the in the 1950s or early on in the church's life. But the Bible tells us that's not the case. 
The Bible tells us in the first century when the Apostle Paul was preaching that some, according to Acts 17, some laughed, some mocked, and others wanted to hear a little more about this. The doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is perhaps one of the most opposed doctrines of our faith. So when Paul challenged the Corinthian Christians about that, it came from this unique perspective of Christianity among all other world religions. Christians believe in a physical bodily resurrection of the dead. It's one of our great hopes. And so Paul's concern for the Corinthian Christians is that the gospel that he preached to them, Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried for our sins, Christ rose again from the dead, all bodily things And the proof of his resurrection is that he appeared to many witnesses for 40 days. People observed him after he was raised from the dead. Paul said, that's the gospel. How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, friends, you might wonder, why is this important to us now? Well, it's very important to us because you probably heard it said before, that Christians can believe in Jesus and just pick and choose the kind of things that we want to believe about Jesus. Some believe that they can remove key elements from their Bible and of the historical faith and still be a Christian. It's almost like the famous Jefferson Bible, where Thomas Jefferson took the Gospels and he clipped out all the miraculous works of Jesus, all the supernatural works of Jesus, but kept the teaching of Jesus and the good humanitarian works of Jesus to show Jesus was a great teacher and he's a great man. We should follow his teachings and we should follow his his morality. But he didn't do these miraculous acts. And many Christians believe that we can do the same. And we can still be a Christian and live and think that particular way. But being a Christian means something altogether different, friends. Being a Christian means that we believe in the most miraculous moments in the history of the world. That we believe that God created the world with a word. That Jesus Christ, the God-man, was born to the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. That Jesus' miracles of healing the sick, raising the dead, and feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, that his bodily resurrection from the dead, followed by his ascension to heaven and being seated at God's right hand are things we as Christians say, yes, we affirm, we believe, we know that they are true. When we deny the reality of the bodily resurrection, we are actually rejecting the reality of the God of the resurrection. A.C. Thistleton put it like this, Resurrection depends not on our ability to imagine it, but on the capacity of the Creator God to design and to activate it. As Gordon Fee made it very clear, to deny the resurrection of the dead is to deny the resurrection of the one who makes any and all resurrections possible. So friends, what's at stake in 1 Corinthians 15 and Easter, for that matter, is the truth of God and the heart of Christianity. 
Christ was raised bodily from the dead, and those who follow Christ, as Paul will later declare in 1 Corinthians 15, will be raised bodily from the dead as well. It is unique to Christianity, and to pull that thread and that miracle from Christianity is to remove God from Christianity. And listen, we lose everything if we do that. That's precisely where Paul then takes us in the text. Paul begins to make a hypothetical argument to the Corinthian Christians about their dangerous views of the resurrection, which is our second point, the consequences if there is no resurrection. You might have come in this morning and you have just wrestled with the reality of this moment. Maybe you've come to church because you know that if you come to church with your parents today, you're going to get a good lunch afterward, right? Maybe you've come because your parents then coerced you to be here and it's Easter Sunday, by golly, get to church. Maybe you come with a friend because you are really curious about what is this Christianity thing really all about. Maybe you're a Christian and you've wrestled with some doubt about this issue of the resurrection. And Paul does something fascinating to us. This is what I love about God's word is God goes right to the deepest part of who we are and says, now let's just, let's just take your doubts for a moment. They're real. And then let's just logically talk about them. So let's say hypothetically that you believe there's no resurrection of the dead. What are the consequences of that? What, what would happen if that were the case? And Paul takes the obvious question. If you don't believe in this resurrection, then what, where does that leave you? Let's logically think about this for a moment. Now, let me just say something about 1 Corinthians 15. For those of you that are Bible scholars that know your Bible, that you, you, uh, you look at your Bible very clearly. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is not trying to prove that the resurrection actually happened. This is not Paul's apologetic for the reality of the resurrection. Rather, Paul's doing something else. Paul is appealing to so-called Christians who heard the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection and believed it, but then over time, the culture and the world around them or their upbringing or the philosophies of the world begin to influence what they believed about this miraculous moment. Paul is just appealing to them to say, listen, I know there's some doubts about the resurrection. I've heard that. Let's think about this for a moment. And let's see how concerning where that may take you. And overriding all of the consequences and all of Paul's thoughts about this is one central thought. And you'll see it in verse 13 and 16. If there is no bodily resurrection, Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Now, Paul says that twice in the text. So just think about this moment for a moment. Think about this central thought and why that is so crucial and important to who we are as Christian people. So if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. That would mean that Paul's words in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that the resurrection was God's stamp of approval on Jesus being the Son of God 
and dying for the penalty of our sin is a lie. It would mean that God disapproved of Jesus' life and death. Good Friday that we celebrated on Friday would not be good in God's estimation. And if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then what Ephesians says about him being raised from the dead and seated in power over all things is not true. Meaning the chaos that you experience in this world every day and that you read about every day is actually what's in control of this world and will never be brought under the rule of the king of kings. And it would mean if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, that he did not defeat the devil who has the power of death and in turn did not free us from that same power as Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that he did if he had not been raised from the dead. So if the dead are not raised and Christ has not been raised, Christian, do you see the consequences of that concern? But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul takes that central kind of mic drop moment, like, okay, if Christ has not been raised, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. Now let's evaluate that even farther. If the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, that means our preaching and our faith are in vain. You can see this in verse 14. This will mean that the gospel. And just think about this. The gospel, the good news, the good news that God sent his only begotten son to live in our place, die in our place, rise again in our place, to be ascended to the right hand of the Father, to satisfy all the wrath of God on our behalf and all the laws of God on our behalf. That gospel, according to this, would be powerless. It would mean the gospel that we demonstrate and declare that many of us have built our lives upon. We built our families upon. By God's grace, we built this church upon. That we believe is the only power of God for salvation and eternal life would be empty. Rather than a dynamite stick, it's not even a sparkler that you'd wave on the 4th of July. Rather than God's power... It would be as useless against God's wrath and our sin as a five-year-old against John Jones or Hulk Hogan. No chance our faith would be useless if Christ had not been raised. Rather than being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, our faith, our belief would be fruitless if there's no resurrection of the dead and Christ has not been raised. And our pre- if our preaching is in vain, that would mean that we are misrepresenting God. Which verse 15 says clearly. Now think about that for a moment. We would be discussing the greatest farce in the history of the universe if there is no resurrection of the dead. Friends, you understand, don't you, that liars, liars don't state that they saw a man bodily raised from the dead if there's no resurrection from the dead. Lunatics do that. Crazy people do that. 
This would mean the Apostle Peter, who ran in and saw the empty tomb, who jumped out of the boat when he saw Jesus on the beach and ate fish with Jesus. This would mean the Apostle Paul, who on the road to Damascus had the risen Christ meet him on the road, put scales on his eyes and turn him in to the greatest missionary in the history of man. This would mean that that St. Augustine, that great saint, that great writer in early human, early Christian history declaring the truths of God to the Roman Empire would be a lunatic. It would mean that John Calvin, one of the most wise and insightful writers of our time who wrote the Institutes of Christian Religion at 27 to give that to the king of France to declare him to repent is a lunatic. This would mean that Jonathan Edwards, the greatest American pastor, who after his death, for 100 years, error did not enter into the American soil because people were still reading his sermons, that man would be a lunatic. These men would not be liars. They would be purposefully misrepresenting God if the dead are not raised and Christ had not been raised. It would mean that you and I, claiming to be Christians, who believe in the bodily resurrection, are crazy. Now listen, I've been around some of y'all, right? I mean, you'd be maniacal, purposefully misrepresenting God. We would be worse than liars. We'd be literally out of our minds. And friends, if you spent just a few moments with somebody who's genuinely a child of God, who's attempting to be transformed by the power of God's grace, who sees themselves as the worst sinner in the room, you will encounter people who are anything but lunatics. Then Paul wrote in verse 17 and 18, our faith would be futile and all would be lost. I mean, do you see this? Following the same logic as verse 14, if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, our faith would do us no good. And he talks about it in two ways. Verse 17, we're still in our sins. Without Christ being raised, his death to satisfy God's wrath for our sins and being raised to secure our acceptance before God would be lost. We'd still be under the power and penalty of sin. We would not have any help in overcoming our sin. We can believe in Jesus all we want, but without his resurrection from the dead, our faith would be empty, futile, powerless in helping us be delivered from our sin. But then he says in verse 18, your faith will be futile to save you from the wrath of God. He says, those who are asleep in Christ, meaning those who died while believing in Jesus, believing that he died and rose again, they would have perished if there's no resurrection of the dead. The word perished implies that they died and they faced the eternal judgment of God. Telling us, without the resurrection from the dead, our faith is empty and it's powerless to save us from God's judgment. Now, what's evident from this section of Scripture is that if there is no resurrection of the dead, Christian friends, we've lost everything. 
We've lost everything. That's, that's how important the resurrection of Christ is to the Christian. So maybe you're here and you're going, what do Christians believe? This is it. Without Christ being raised from the dead, our faith is hopeless, our preaching is in vain, and we are misrepresenting God. We are worse, worse than liars. And Paul summarizes this in verse 19, which is you come here, and if there's no resurrection of the dead and you're not a Christian, this is the way you ought to look at us. If as Christians we who believed in Christ have only hope in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's logical argument ends here. If there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, we as Christians have lost everything. Our preaching is in vain. Our faith is futile. We're lunatics misrepresenting God. We're still unreconciled to God, and we have no hope of eternal life. And if that were true, the people of the world ought to look at us with pity. You know why? That would mean our beliefs, our discipline to live our lives a certain way, to deny ourselves of certain earthly sins, our passion to serve our neighbors and really be a benefit to our community, to be a blessing to the world around us, our desire to honor God with our lives is just as futile. If there's no resurrection of the dead, we as Christians are people in the world to be most pitied. People should look at us with like, what a bunch of wackos. And as Paul would teach in verse 32 of chapter 15, if that's the case, there's no resurrection. Christ hasn't been raised. We have no hope in this life or the next. Listen, we should just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Or to quote that great theologian prince, we should party like it's 1999. Paul's point is clear. If there is no resurrection, our hope in Christ is only in this world, and the result of that thinking is that we should just live for ourselves, get all we can in this world, and make sure we keep nothing from this world from experiencing everything in this world, no matter what God says. Now just think about this for a moment. Do you notice how eternal these consequences are? Do you notice how eternal these consequences are? These are enormous. This means as a Christian, we don't have the option of a pick-and-choose approach to what we believe and don't believe about these moments in the Bible. Friends, when it comes to what we call here closed-handed issues, issues that we'd say, these are ones we're going to die over. Things like God being the creator of all things. Christ dying on the cross for our sins. The word of God being inspired and God-breathed. Jesus being raised bodily from the dead. There are massive eternal consequences for denying these clear truths taught in our faith and in our Bibles. The resurrection of the dead is that important to our faith. The consequences are enormous. Now, what's fascinating in Paul's logical arguments 
is Paul moves quickly to the very next thing. I, I love how Paul does arguments. Paul doesn't say, let me prove to you the resurrection. That's what he's doing. He's saying, here's, here's all the consequences. And then he just quickly moves on to the very next thing. And look what he says with our last point, the reality of the resurrection at the beginning of verse 20. But in fact, I love Paul's transitions. Paul doesn't mince words. Paul doesn't just say, hey, I know you're doubting out there, so let's kind of wrestle through that. Let's talk about all the all the parts of it and the history of it and the whole. No, he just says, nope, but in fact. Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, what Paul is doing, if you're a Bible student or not, you can look at this and see it. Paul is just simply returning to the beginning of chapter 15. He's going back up to the beginning of chapter 15, to the gospel that he made clear at the beginning of chapter 15, that Jesus died, rose again from the dead, and was seen by many witnesses over many days. All Paul is doing is returning back to that argument to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised. That means on Easter Sunday, today, 2,000 years ago, the tomb is empty. It means that Jesus has been raised as the guarantee of our salvation and his resurrection bodily means that God approved of all that he did in the work of our salvation and for our eternal life. This means that if we believe in Jesus, listen clearly, you are no longer in your sins. It means it, since Jesus has in fact been raised, that our faith of what we believe is eternally important. And listen, the gospel that we proclaim is eternally powerful. R.C. Sproul wrote it like this. Death could not hold Jesus. And that is only because he had no personal sin of his own. People die only because they are born in sin. If you want to know the reality of sin, it is death. Every one of you face it. Every one of us in the room face it. The reality of the fact is this. We know we're sinners because we all will die. And Jesus did not die because he had no sin. And he was raised from the dead. Death could not hold him. Sproul says this this way. People only die because they're born in sin. And without sin, there would be no death. In his death, Jesus fully paid the penalty for his people's sins so that They, his people's sins, could not keep him in the grave. The resurrection of Jesus proves that God accepted his atonement for our sin. He was raised for our justification or being made right with God. Because he was a perfect offering for sin, God accepted his death as the true and complete atonement for our sin. And he showed this by bringing Jesus back to life. In fact, Christ has been raised. Now, friends, this changes everything for us. 
If you're a child of God, you believe in Jesus, and you believe that the resurrection is true, this means something for you. This means that this world that you live in, this world is the worst that you will ever ever experience. And just think about that for a moment, those of you that just had a glorious moment with your kids driving in, everything felt like heaven on earth, right? Or yesterday you were out in the pseudo-sunshine, thinking, just thinking the weather's going to change. Yeah, wait till Monday, right? Thinking this is heaven on earth. This is the worst you will ever experience. And the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Bible says in Romans 8, verse 11, that same spirit is inside of your mortal bodies to give you true, abundant life now, in this world now. In the worst that you will ever experience, the Spirit of God is alive in you. Meaning, you and I have hope in this life because Christ is alive, and this life in this world will be the worst we will ever experience because the Spirit of the risen Christ is alive and well in us. What good news. But we not only have hope here, we have hope later. Don't believe what you read. Your best life is not now. Your best life is later. Because Christ has been raised from the dead bodily, guess what? So will we. Throughout the rest of this chapter in Paul's writings, you're going to read Paul talking about the dead in Christ will rise because Christ was raised before us as the first fruits, the first offering of resurrection to eternal life. See, we have hope now with the spirit of the risen Christ alive in us, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And here's what's going to happen. We have hope in the life to come because that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead. As a Christian, you have a living hope now, and you have an eternal hope for later, because Christ has in fact been raised from the dead. Listen, if you're here and you don't believe in Christ, or maybe you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't believe that this is real. Friends, can I just submit to you that this world is the best you will ever experience. You might as well get all you can. It's a hopeless existence. It's chaotic, full of fears and anxieties, no hope of overcoming your own personal challenges and demons. This is why our world, in my opinion, has walked so fearfully over the last several years. A worldwide pandemic has just simply exposed that people think if we just cling to this world, we can keep it. We've clung to things that are temporal because that is all this world has without the hope of Christ. There's no hope for the non-Christian in the resurrection because they don't believe in it. So rather than cling to eternal life found in a resurrected Christ, People cling to this world. That's all they have. They try to protect themselves from death at all costs. Why? They have no 
hope in the life to come. So listen, if that's you, if that's you, listen, there is remarkable hope this morning. Remarkable hope. Easter gives you a totally different perspective. You can have hope now and you can have hope for later. Put your trust in Christ. Believe in Jesus that he is indeed the son of God who has come to live for you, die in your place and rose again from the dead and is right now seated at the right hand of God. Turn to Christ. And if you go, I don't even know what that means, man. Then grab somebody in the room and ask them because there's about 600 or more of our people that are here that will talk to you about Jesus. We'd love to do it. Meet me in the lobby. Let's talk. Let's have that conversation. It's too important to leave without on Easter Sunday meeting the resurrected Christ. See, friend, listen, Easter epitomizes hope. It epitomizes hope. Because God raising Jesus from the dead shows that our greatest fear, death, has been defeated. Do you understand that? Your greatest Fear, death has been defeated. Your greatest adversary, Satan himself, the devil, has been crushed by the resurrected Christ. John Piper said it this way, the best news of the Christian gospel is that the supremely glorious creator of the universe has acted in Jesus Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to remove every obstacle between us and himself so that we may find everlasting joy in seeing and savoring his infinite beauty. The Apostle Peter put it this way, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, with an exclamation. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know what this means? We have all the reasons in the world to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Christ has been raised. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And with his resurrection, he has given us a living hope today for now, and it's good for your future. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior indeed. Amen and amen. Let's pray. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Church, right now where you're at, would you just talk to your risen Savior and tell him thank you for everything he has done on your behalf? Thank him for the forgiveness of sin. Thank him for the power to overcome your personal demons and your own personal sins. Thank him for making making you right with God. Thank him for clothing you and giving you his righteousness in exchange for your sin. Thank him for 
putting the Holy Spirit in you, the spirit that raised him from the dead. Thank him for being the guarantee and the promise of what will come. Thank him that he has sealed you in the Holy Spirit for that promised day of redemption. Thank him that you have hope now that this world is underneath his control and all the chaos of this world does not operate outside of his control. Thank him that one day he will roll up everything and he has given you hope for eternal life. Thank him, church. Thank you. And if you're here, you don't know Jesus. Just this morning, would you turn your heart to Christ? Would you confess to him that you believe that he is Christ, the Son of God? That you believe that he died for your sin? That you believe that he was raised from the dead? And you want him to be the Lord of your life. Father, we, we don't want to leave here without doing business with God. You, you raise your son from the dead so that we can come to you with confidence and find help in our time of need. And Lord, we, we need you. We, we struggle with anxiety and fear and all the stuff going on in this world is just crazy. Would you remind us today that the resurrection reveals that there's not an obstacle of this universe that will stop you from controlling all things? We feel condemned in our sin. We, we feel like we've, we've just failed you over and over and over again. And Lord, we just walk in this downtrodden, looking at our sin and navel-gazing all the time, would you remind us that the resurrection is a reminder that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means our condemnation is over. That Jesus obeyed perfectly on our behalf because Jesus knew we wouldn't. And would you pick our eyes up from navel-gazing and looking internally to lift our eyes up to the hills from where does our help come from? Our help comes from an empty cross and an empty tomb and a resurrected, ascended Christ. Thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the praise because in fact Christ has been raised from the dead Amen This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com